Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about investment basics tonight. Um, so if, if there's at any point you guys have any questions, um, just unmute yourself and, and you can go ahead and ask that question. There's We have an intimate enough crowd tonight that we can do that. So let's just go ahead and get started. So what is investing? So you're probably in one of two categories when it comes to investing. You either think it's gambling and I'm going to put my money in. It's like going to a casino and I may make some money. I may not make some money. Or you're in the other camp that you have a little bit of knowledge on what goes on and how things work. And you understand that, that you know, there's some risk involved. But if I, if I put money away uh, on a continual basis over, over time, I'm probably going to make some money. Well, the answer is probably it's a little bit of both. Yeah, there's some speculation in the market, but uh, in our opinion, investing is a carefully planned and prepared approach to managing and accumulating money. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and all the factors that go into that. The first thing we want to go over, the one thing in our opinion that people uh, don't take into account is inflation. So they think if they have you know, 100 grand today that they're going to have 100 grand in 20 years, and that's just that's just not the case. So what we want to show here a little bit is what the purchasing power of 200,000 looks like uh, over time. At roughly, let's do 3% annual inflation because that's roughly been the average inflation since 1914. So we'll use three. So if we go out 20 years. 200,000 will buy you $108,000 worth of goods. Think about that. almost half your money, half your purchasing power is gone due to, due to just inflation, not even market fluctuations, nothing else other than inflation. Go out another 20 years, 59,000. Almost 75% of your money uh, has lost its purchasing power. So, that's the one thing I, we sort of want you to kind of keep in the back of your head when you think about your investments. We have people who are really conservative investors or really aggressive investors. And the one thing that we want you to keep in mind if you're one of the conservative ones is you want your money to at least keep pace with inflation. Uh, so think about where you might have some of your money and, and how you're investing. If it's not keeping pace with inflation, then you may need to, to rethink that. Now, here's the other side of it, compounding. Um, I don't think this guy actually said it, uh, but Albert Einstein, Albert Einstein supposedly said once that compounding interest was the greatest invention of all time. Um, I don't think there's any proof that he actually said it, but the, the sentiment is probably correct. Uh, anybody in our business would tell you the greatest thing that you can get is compounding. So uh, what this chart's gonna show us is if we put in $5,000 a year for 30 years, and let's say you're a, a fairly moderate investor, let's get 6% annual return. We're not gonna take any dividends. We'll just roll those back in. At the end of 30 years, you will have just under 400 grand. So you'll put in 150 and you'll have almost 400. That's the value of compounding. And so one of the things we, we like to stress, especially with younger people, is put it away, put it away early, put it away often. Um, and 
and the market will reward you over time. Uh, now, one of the things, uh, rule of 72, you'll probably hear this come up sometimes in conversation. And what it means is you take 72 divided by your rate of return, and that's how many years you need to double in value. So if you average 7.2%, your money will double every 10 years. So keep that in mind when you're, again, looking at your allocation and whether you're aggressive, moderate, or conservative, uh, you'll be able to keep that in mind. Both of them. Again, sooner the better. Don't put it off. The sooner you start, the longer your investments have to grow. Playing catch-up can be difficult and very expensive. This, what I'm going to show you, really resonates with younger people. Um, if you're above 50 and you haven't started, this typically makes you want to makes you a little bit upset, but with younger people, we show this to them and people who are reluctant to get into the market in their 20s saying they can't afford it or in their 30s, I can't afford it. This chart will dispel that myth. So let's put in $3,000 a year, same moderate, 6% growth. Again, we're gonna reinvest all the earnings and not pay any tax. So we're gonna defer all this, all the taxes. Start when you're 20, and at the end of 45 years, you'll have almost $680,000. If you wait, wait until you're 35, that number drops at 250,000. That's a huge drop just by waiting till you're 35. And then of course, if you wait till you're 45, it's 120,000. So don't put it off. Put it away, put it away early, put it away often. If you wait, the amount of money you would have to put in to make up that 680 from 254 is, it's gonna probably be triple what you'd have to put in. So keep that in mind when you're talking to people. Uh, one of the things we talk about early on when we take on clients are investment goals. So when we look at your money, we want to find out what that money is actually for. Is it for retirement? Is it for your kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews college? Is it for a special purchase? Meaning a second home, a vacation home, or a, the dream car you've always wanted. We take into account short-term goals versus long-term goals. Probably want to have two different places to put those monies. And in general, the longer, obviously your investment horizon, the more risk you can afford to take. So we want to consider the time with each of those goals. Some people, you know, they, they don't take that into consideration. When you're younger and you're thinking about retirement, which could be 30 years away, well, you're probably going to want to allocate that money differently than if you want to buy a house in five years. With that house in five years money, we probably don't want to be too aggressive with that. So these are some of the things that you want to think about. Risk tolerance. Simply put, it's your ability uh, to absorb loss. Um, everybody's risk tolerance is different. You know, I like to tell the story. I'm from a, a small town in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. And think about where you all grew up. And there was probably a kid jumping a bike off a homemade ramp somewhere. And I always like to tell people you're one of three kids. You're, you're the kid yahooing it over the ramp. 
you're helping get everything set up or you're standing 50 feet away saying you, you guys are a bunch of idiots. You were conservative, moderate, or aggressive and you didn't know it. So our job is to figure out who you are. And we don't care, quite frankly, what kind of investor you are. Doesn't matter to us. What our job is, is to figure out who you are and can you sleep at night if you lose a little bit of money in the market and, and to make sure that that correlates to the plan that you want. So an aggressive investor may not have to put as much money away over time because they're probably going to earn higher returns over 30 years, where a conservative investor may have to put away more money to make up for the lack of fluctuations in their accounts. So again, these are things that probably you don't, I'm guessing most of you who have 401ks haven't taken that into consideration when you figure out how much you want to put away. Uh, you probably put away a certain percent based on what your company matches and uh, you'll pick the, the funds typically that have done the best over time if you're like everybody else. And that may be great, it may not be. Uh, but you need to know who you are as an investor. And if you don't, uh, you need to figure it out. And that's something that uh, any advisor can help you with. So again, this chart will show us sort of a risk trade-off uh, when it comes to uh, risk and return. You know, all the way down at the bottom, you'll see T-bills, uh, CDs, government bonds, corporate bonds, preferred common stock, and then options and futures, going from the most conservative all the way up to the most aggressive investments. Uh, T-bills are going to be your most uh, protected of principal investment. Uh, they're probably not going to move a whole lot. CDs won't move at all. You really only have inflation risk. Uh, government corporate bonds will move some, uh, depending on the environment. Uh, they, moved, they moved a bunch in 2008-2009. Uh, preferred stock is much safer than common stock, uh, but still subject to market risk. Common stock, again, subject to lots of factors, market factors, environmental factors. Um, if you own Boeing uh, two or three years ago, you understand uh, risk outside of the market, what can do with that stock. And then of course, options and futures. If you were paying attention the last, the last month or so in the market, you probably heard about GameStop um, and, and the fluctuations of, what happened with those and that was all based on options and futures so we're going to go into a little bit of each one of these now Let's, we're going to stop start with uh, the cash and then we're going to go to bonds and then stocks we're talking about some other types of investments and then we're going to talk about funds a little bit uh, one thing i want you to understand uh, 401ks and iras are not investments they're places to put your investments Okay, so keep that in mind. I know a lot of people will uh, sometimes think of their investments as a 401k. Uh, a 401k is just a place to put your investments. So hope that makes sense. So let's start off with cash. Uh, low risk, uh, short term, relatively liquid. Some examples are CDs, money markets, money market mutual funds, and then U.S. Treasury bills, commonly referred to as T-bills. These will provide you uh, stability. They are there to maintain a, a ready source of cash for emergencies or anything else you might want some cash for. 
And most of the time they're there to serve as a temporary spot to park the money until you decide what to put, what to do with it long-term. Typically these are not uh, long-term investments. Now, CDs, uh, most everybody on this calls, either parents or grandparents, can probably tell you a time when CDs you could get 16%. Well, those days are long gone. And the other thing they forget to tell you is that inflation was about 16% at the same time and interest rates were about the same. So, so these places are, are, are spots to park money really, really for just a short period of time. Uh, some advantages, again, predictable earnings, highly liquid, very little risk to your principal. So disadvantages, relatively low returns. And as we talked about earlier, they may not keep up with inflation. In fact, most of them today uh, will not keep up with inflation. You'll actually probably lose, depending on where you're sitting, you'll lose between one and 2% a year now uh, on those, uh, on the purchasing power of that money. Now let's move up to bonds. Bonds can be, a, they are a loan to either a government or a corporation. Uh, interest is paid at uh, regular intervals. They can be traded like any other security and the value will fluctuate. Um, the interest rate or coupon rate, which can be fixed or floating, is usually set in advance on these. Uh, and interest payments are generally paid twice a year. Some vary, but most of them are twice a year. You can get bonds, I think, as, as low as $1,000 intervals. You get a set interest rate. You get a maturity date that's fixed, uh, typically between 1 and 30 years. You don't need to hold them until they mature. Uh, they can be traded just like any other type of security. Because you can buy and sell them, bond fluctuates, they will fluctuate in price. Uh, they'll sell above or below their face value. If interest rates rise, new bonds are gonna go higher rates and existing bonds with lower fixed rates become less appealing. So those are some things you'll have to think about if you own bonds. Typically, there's an inverse relationship between bonds and interest rates. Interest rates goes up, bond yields go down, interest rates go down, bond yields go up. Some things you want to remember about bonds, the different types of U.S. government agencies. They're backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government, therefore carry minimal risk. We do have the largest taxing power in the, on, the, on the planet, which is why U.S. bonds are pretty safe and secure. There's other treasury, uh, besides treasury bills, there's treasury notes, treasury bonds. They both pay interest semi-annually. You can also invest in bonds that are issued by agencies owned or sponsored by the US government. Uh, municipal bonds are bonds issued by states, cities, towns, uh, a specific authority like a, uh, like the, I'm guessing the New York Thruway had bonds when they built that thing. They, those also can issue bonds. And then you have corporate bonds. Those are issued by private companies. These things will fluctuate depending on the companies that issue them. They will range from very stable to very volatile. You've often heard of the volatile bonds called junk bonds. Some corporate bonds uh, are convertible and they can be exchanged for shares of the company stock. 
You can also purchase zero coupon bonds that are issued at a discount below face value. No interest is paid on those, but at maturity you receive the face value of bond. So you probably had those as kids, your, your grandparents bought you a $100 savings bond and they probably only paid 20 bucks for it. So that's how those work. So advantages of bonds, uh, steady and predictable stream of income. Income typically higher than the alternatives we talked about earlier, T-bills and CDs. Relatively low risk. Uh, there will be times that bond prices in the bond market will fluctuate just like the stock market. Matter of fact, I would say over the last 15 years, that's been, it's, it's probably acted as much like the stock market as it has at any point in history. So bonds will fluctuate. However, historically lower risk than stocks. Um, again, historically had a low correlation to the stock market. Again, the last 15 years, probably not as much as it has historically, but uh, yeah, low correlation to stock market. Disadvantages, uh, they could default. So the companies could go under. Uh, a town, Fresno, was a big uh, example of a municipality that defaulted on its bonds. I think we heard of a country called Greece about 10 years ago that defaulted on a bunch of bonds. That was fun. The value of the bond will fluctuate with interest rates. We talked about that. And of course, lower risk means lower potential returns. So those are some of the disadvantages. Now let's talk a little bit about stocks. Stocks are ownership in a company. Uh, your percent of ownership depends on your uh, share of the profit or loss. Earnings may be distributed as dividends. And shares of stock can be sold or gain or loss. So let's see, what do we want to know on this? So depending on the company, the types of shares you have uh, will have different types of advantages that carry some benefits. Uh, you may be entitled to dividends, capital gains payouts, other corporate privileges, like uh, common stockholders have the right to vote for candidates uh, for board of director on, and you can vote on other, other issues that the company may have going on, whether it's uh, you know, if they're going to do a major restructuring, you may get the op the opportunity to vote if you're a common stockholder. Uh, some differences, some common versus preferred stock. We'll talk about different categories, small cap, mid cap, large cap, and some terminology here. Growth, value, income, blue chip, and we'll very we'll go over ADRs briefly. Um, so the difference, the major difference between common and preferred, uh, common stockholders have many rights, including the right to vote. However, if you own common stock, you're last in line. Um, so let's say the company goes bankrupt, you'll be the last to get paid. So that's one of the disadvantages. Uh, they do receive dividends at the discretion of the board and only after all other profits have been determined. Preferred stockholders are given priority over common stockholders when it comes to dividends and assets. However, uh, you don't get the right to vote when you have preferred stock, so that's a big uh, potential disadvantage to people. Uh, preferred stockholders will get a fixed dividend payment, usually quarterly for those. 
And I think on preferred stockholders, see there's a less, less return potential for common um, stockholders, uh, but there's also less risk. So that's some of the major differences. Uh, stock is categorized in three different categories. You'll hear small cap, mid cap, large caps. Those are basically your small to large companies. So small cap will be your, basically your startup companies. Large cap will be your, your uh, Facebooks and Microsofts and Apples and Cokes of the world. Um, growth stocks, those are typically the stocks that are gonna grow at a faster rate than the industry average or the overall market. Those are the ones that for aggressive investors, that's where we're gonna go. Uh, value stocks are typically uh, characterized, they sell at a low multiple of the company sales. So uh, they're fairly safe uh, when it comes to that. Um, and income stock, those are ones that we're gonna look for that pay a high dividend. So if you uh, wanted a portfolio that was built on income, we would be choosing high dividend uh, paying stocks. And then of course, uh, we won't go into great depth on this, but ADRs are American Depository Receipts. Uh, they're negotiable instruments uh, that uh, are created that represent stock and uh, I guess sometimes bonds too. And they are traded in non-US companies. So that's what they're used to move money back and forth between non-US companies. So advantages of stocks historically, uh, they provided the long, highest long-term growth. You have ownership rights that we talked about. Uh, they can provide income through dividends as, as well as growing, and they're fairly easy to buy and sell. Disadvantages, uh, again, poor company performance will uh, definitely negatively affect the values of your shares. They are highly subject to market volatility greater risk to your principal and uh, probably not appropriate for short term. So if you wanted to buy a house in five years, uh, that money is probably not best suited to put in stocks. Uh, some other types of investments, uh, real estate, uh, common uh, are commercial and residential, or you can also have a REIT, which is a real estate investment trust, stock options, futures and commodities, uh, basically, you can speculate on the future value of something. Uh, gold is probably the most common. Uh, Reese will tell you some stories about uh, frozen concentrated orange juice if you want him to. It's a real thing. And then, of course, collectibles, uh, antiques, cars, uh, fine art. Those are some other types of investments. Uh, an investment option, mutual funds. Uh, so we talked about stock, which is ownership in a company. Uh, we talked about bond, which is debt in a company or municipality. A mutual fund is a, uh, it's going to be a common, it's going to be a pool of stocks or a pool of bonds or both. Uh, your money is pooled with that of other investors. Fund invest dollars according to a stated investment strategy. So each mutual fund will have a specific purpose and they'll be invested in specific areas of the world or country or industries, and you own a portion of the securities held by the fund. So most mutual funds will have anywhere between 50 and 200 companies inside of them. So, you know, if you own uh, 
I think a, a typical percent inside of a, a large cap mutual fund might have a two or three percent holding in, let's say, Apple or Facebook. So you're only holding two or three percent of that fund in one company. So if Facebook goes under, your fund typically won't get hit as hard. Again, this is the lawyers before investing. Investors should carefully consider a fund's investment options. Risks, charges, and expenses. They will be found in the wonderful prospectus that you get. It's about 800 pages. It has all the, the information. Uh, three major investment categories of mutual funds. There are bond market or money market funds, bond funds, and stock funds. Oops. Mutual funds will fall all along the risk spectrum. Again, if you look over here, you'll see money market funds again have low risk. Stock funds will have the higher risk or international funds will have the highest risk and then active versus passive management. An actively managed mutual fund is probably gonna be a question you have. It's one where the fund manager or managers will use the information available to them to actively buy and sell securities inside of a fund so they can beat a particular benchmark that they're measured against. Uh, a passively managed account, sometimes you'll, you'll hear them referred to as an index fund. They typically buy and hold securities uh, for a specific index. Uh, the most common one that people would probably have would be the S&P 500. Uh, the, the objective of that would be to mimic whatever index you would have instead of going out and buying 500 shares of stock to mimic the S&P, you would just buy one fund. Uh, some advantages, uh, instant diversification, again, professional management, small investment amounts, and they're uh, highly liquid. Disadvantages, uh, the shares will fluctuate daily. Uh, the portion of the funds may be tied up in cash. Typically what you'll see is you'll see a fund manager hold anywhere from two to 7% of the money in cash. So if anything, especially in an actively managed mutual fund, they'll wanna have that cash on hand in case they wanna hedge more towards uh, international equities. Then they don't have to raise the cash, they already have it sitting there. However, you will have some potential tax and efficiency and then mutual fund uh, fees and expenses. All right, ETFs. Um, if you invest with us, odds are you've heard about ETFs. We really like ETFs um, for some of the reasons that you're gonna see here. Uh, most ETFs are based on an index. Uh, passive management will lower the fund cost. Uh, they can be traded throughout the day. And of course you can buy them on margin and short them like stocks and they will be much more tax efficient than a mutual fund. Um, Let's see, what else can I tell you about these? Um, so if you think about an ETF, they may have a less passive management style, but they will mimic a index. So again, we talked about the S&P 500. You can buy an ETF that mimics the S&P 500. You can buy an ETF that will own every health insurance company or the most common one we get asked about today is marijuana. Uh, 
Uh, you can have a marijuana ETF. Anybody want to guess the ticker symbol? Time's up. It's POT. How creative. Uh, so you can actually own every uh, marijuana stock on the, on the market. So that's what an ETF will do. You can actually concentrate it in one, in one area. Again, here's your disclosure. Uh, let's talk a little bit about dollar cost averaging. So now there's been some, I'm gonna preface this by, I'll preface this slide by saying, I think what the numbers are proving over the last 15 years is dollar cost averaging probably won't be as, what's the word, efficient maybe as it has been historically, but that doesn't mean going forward that it won't get back to more historical relevance. Not that it's irrelevant now, but dollar cost averages where you invest the same dollar amount at regular intervals over time. The most common thing that people use this for, 401ks. You have a specific amount that comes out of your check every week or every two weeks, um, and it goes in over time. So what will happen is you will buy shares at different prices over time, which will lower your cost in theory. So if we look at the example here, um, you're buying shares at different prices, uh, and then at the uh, at the end of the day, you're actually buying shares cheaper. So. That's what dollar cost averaging is. We actually we actually talk to you a lot about reverse dollar cost averaging. I don't know if that's the right term, but that's what I call it. Um, when we take money out of our investments, I get asked a lot. Of, I just got asked it twice yesterday. Should I take money out in chunks or should I take it out every month? And I think the, the first answer would be uh, however you, you really need to have it. Uh, ideally, you want to take it out monthly, just like you put it in monthly. Because again, you will kind of reverse engineer the dollar cost averaging and, and you'll save you'll save your portfolio some money over time by doing that. Um, asset allocation considerations, you wanna think about diversification, uh, risk tolerance, timeframes, your personal financial situation and your liquidity needs, uh, most people, Everybody will have different liquidity needs. Many investors will put uh, a common mistake is they put all their eggs in one basket. Uh, we, we, we've seen it a lot in this area uh, where they will invest most of their money or all their money in one stock. Uh, I won't name the company, but there's a company locally that that was a very common investing strategy around here and it worked well like most things until it doesn't and then when it doesn't it's uh, pretty bad um, when you think about asset allocation it will create a diversified portfolio for you um, it will help to balance out any sort of gains and losses over time it will be a much smoother ride um, and it will actually fit your need that's where we get into choosing the right fit for you. So here's an example model. Uh, this would be a, a sample conservative model. These are not the end all be all, but this is just a, an example. So you would have 50% or more in bonds, 
25% in stocks and then 25% in cash alternatives, which would be money markets, probably. The conservative allocation can range anywhere from 0% stocks up to, I would think 20 to 25% stock would be the most you would probably want in a conservative allocation. And then we go up to moderate. Moderate, you're gonna have about 50% stocks up to uh, probably 65 to 70% stocks. And then you'll have the rest in bonds and cash alternatives. There's also uh, conservative to moderate, which will be a mix of those two that you just saw. And then the last one, of course, is aggressive, where you will have anywhere from 70 to 100% stocks. And then, of course, everything in between would be moderate to aggressive, and it would balance out those two. So this is what sample allocations will look like. So if you're ever curious, what's our goal? Our goal is to help you determine your investment goals, timelines, and risk tolerances. We will help create an asset allocation model for you. The companies we use will have most of those created already for us. We can help you select where to put your money because there's a bunch of different places to put it. Um, some have more disadvantages and more advantages than others. Uh, it's our job to help you sort those out. And of course, it's our job to help manage and monitor and modify your portfolio over time if the situation calls for it. We would never do it just to do it, but we would do it if we needed to. Uh, so this is kind of a, a keep it in perspective slide to illustrate historical context because I had a conversation yesterday with someone about what we do in this business. Um, I think it's 90% psychology is what we do. I give an example. If I called my wife today and I said, you're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, I love you so much. You're just, you're a great mom. You're a great teacher. You're a great wife. You're the greatest thing ever. I, I hate your hair, but you're the greatest thing that I've ever seen. I love you so much. What is she going to remember when I hang up that phone? She's going to remember me mentioning that I hate her hair. I don't hate her hair. I'm just making up an example. So our DNA programs us to remember negative stuff. It's been 13 years almost, 13 years, which would be the whole lifespan of your child's primary education since the financial crisis of 2008 happened. But people still talk about it like it happened yesterday. So what this chart will show you uh, is what happens in a very short contracted period of time and then what always happens, well, not always, but historically, what always happens after that happens. So what this will show you is don't panic when we have short protracted periods of loss. Uh, for example, uh, look at the financial crisis in 2008. You know, from October of 07 to March of 09, we lost 57% in the market. But then the next year, we gained 69%, so, which was probably pretty close to even where we started. So again, when we, when we have those big, those big losses, which are typically short periods of time, it's followed up by big rallies. So, um, 
diversification can feel disappointing. So again, what this is going to show you is uh, what the index did, the S&P 500 versus a, a diversified portfolio. And what you'll typically find is you'll probably have a smoother ride over time. And a smoother ride, uh, we could talk about this for probably an hour, uh, but a smoother ride in the market should mean more money over time. Volatility is usually a good thing for you. However, big volatility can really distress a portfolio over time and, and can lead to some pretty big inefficiencies and in returns. And, what, and that's exactly what this is showing. Uh, you may feel like, for example, uh, from the last bull market that, that we are still in really, uh, from 2009, it's been up 351%. But if you were diversified, you were probably only up 200%, which would have made you feel like I didn't make as much as everybody else. However, if you look at the same portfolio at the beginning of the millennium, when we had the tech, the tech bubble followed by 9-11, we lost just about, I think these numbers are a little bit, we lost 48% of the market uh, at the beginning of the millennium. Now, if you were diversified, you probably would have only lost around 20%. Now, if you have 100 grand and you lose 20%, how much do you have? You have $80,000 left. How much do you need to make next year to get back to 100? The common answer is 20%, and that's false. If you did that, you'd only be back to 96,000. So you have to make 25% the next year to break even. So what a diversified portfolio will do, it will, it will make the losses less, which means we won't have as far to climb back when the gains start. So you'll have a more efficient ride over time again, which will mean, should mean more money in your pocket. So conclusion, um, if you have any questions, we're here for you. Um, this is our contact info. What I would say at this time, if you have questions, please ask. Just go ahead and unmute yourselves and, and ask away. Not everybody at once. Don't make me call on you either, because I think this is the part where people learn the most. Um, you may have a question that somebody else does and you're scared to ask it, so don't be afraid. All right. Well, I tell you what, I won't put you on the spot. If you have questions, you have my email, you have our number. Uh, there's our Facebook page, our website. Check it out. Um, leave us some feedback. You can always you can get a hold of us on any of those. And if there's no questions, then I'll let you get on with your evening. And I, I thank all of you for coming and I hope you learned something. And uh, we'll all talk soon. Thank you.